We uh, have a, a little bit more rock and roll in the service today for the dads. Some rock and roll and a funny video and a candy bar. So we're trying to keep you guys engaged today. you got to save the candy bar. We're not allowed to eat that in here. So if you already started, uh, just hold off, guys. But uh, we're going to be looking at Psalm 26 there, 126. So go ahead and be turning there while I grab my notes. And uh, we're going to jump into the lesson here. Psalm 126. Uh, I want to welcome you if you're visiting with us. And uh, we are in the middle of a series right now called Elevate. And it's based on the Psalms of Ascent. Psalm 126 being one of those. And uh, what Psalms of Ascent mean, it's, it's a title that's in the original Hebrew there in the, in the book of Psalms. And uh, it uses the Hebrew word for stairs. And, and so we, we translated that as ascent, you know, you, as you're going up. But it's the Hebrew word for stairs. And it, these are songs that God's people would sing as they were going up the mountain to worship in Jerusalem. So we've been talking about uh, a little bit about uh, worship in this series and what worship means and, and, and why we worship God. Uh, God really enjoys affection from us. You know, dads, don't you love it when your kids are affectionate towards you? I remember um, just a few weeks ago, I was going out of town for a few days, and uh, my son Marshall, who's, uh, he'll be 10 in a month, he, uh, you know, it, it's maybe 9 in the morning or something, I'm, or 7 in the morning, I think, because it was before school, so I'm, I'm about to head off to the airport. He comes out in the front yard in his jammies, he's like, I just wanted one more hug, you know, and, and he had to give me one more hug there in his jammies in the front yard. He didn't care who saw him in his jammies. Just give his dad a big hug and a kiss. And I know teens, that's not going to last, right? Are you with me? You're not going to be kissing your dad in your jammies in the front yard. But, you know, while, he, while he's still, I'm like, oh, I love this. I love the affection. And that's what, I think that's how God feels about us. I think he loves for us to be affectionate towards him. He loves for us to say, God, I love you. I'm so thankful for you. He loves for us to worship him. And uh, one of the, the, the cool words in, in the Greek language is this word um, proskudio, and that's the word that we translate in our uh, New Testament as worship. But the, the word means to kiss as a dog kissing his master's hand. And you, you picture that, you know, how a dog feels about his master. I mean, we got a dog for Christmas, and uh, I'm telling you, he worships me. I mean... If I had any issues with self-esteem, they're fixed now because this dog, I mean, I could do no wrong. He, he just, he worships the ground I walk on. I mean, he, he, he's like this far behind me. He steps on the back of my flip-flops sometimes. He just has to stay with me, you know. And he tries to anticipate which way I'm going and he runs ahead and then he waits for me and then, oh, he's going somewhere else. So he runs that way. He just, man, he, he worships the ground I walk on. And uh, when I get home after a little while, I, I got to show you a video of this, this idea of proscudio. This is him when I, when I got home after being gone for a few hours. I don't know if my clicker's working there. Can you go ahead to the next slide? This is the name of the title of the lesson today, Restore, Psalm 126. Go ahead to the next slide there. Okay, so this is, uh, he's on our porch, you know, that's kind of where he hangs out when we're gone. And you can see him, he's just so excited. It's like, Master's home, Master's home. He's <laughs> that's that's that. he's excited we're both home. <laughs> I 
you know, that's how we should come to church. You know, can you imagine? We just all came to church. That's good. Sherman. Can you imagine if we just all came to church that way? You know, I just can't wait to worship God. Woo! You know, that's what the Greek word means. Proskunio. I just got to kiss my master's hand. And so as we're talking about worshiping God, as we're talking about calling on God today, as I said, the title of the lesson today is Restore. So we talk about God restoring us. Think about that image of, of, of the little puppy dog that's so excited to see his master. Psalm 126. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and read that. The first point is big picture restoration. Big picture restoration. We'll start in Psalm 126. I'm going to pray as we open the Bible, so bow with me. God, thank you to be able to look into your word I pray that you'd speak to each one of us right now and uh, help us to get the message from the text that you want us to get. Father, I pray that um, you would uh, help us to, to have our eyes of our heart open to how awesome you are, God, and how great it is to worship you and what a good God you are to us. And a happy Father's Day to you, God. Thank you for the loving Father that you are. As we sang about an almighty power with a tender touch, God, even though you created all the heavens and the earth, you care about each one of us, and you know the number of hairs on our head. Uh, thank you that you're so gracious and compassionate to us. We love you and we praise you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Psalm 126, we just sang a song based on this, Men Who Dream. It says in verse 1, When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. So we're going to kind of break down this song of a sense here. Uh, the first thing is the big picture restoration. You know, the, the, the psalmist starts with kind of the big picture of what God has been doing. And uh, when you, this, this first couple of verses, when the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dream. You might not know what that's talking about, the captives to Zion, what is that? So I'm just going to kind of give you the background. God's people were in slavery in Egypt. They ended up there. You know, you, we've all probably heard of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Jacob's son Joseph. And Joseph ended up in Egypt, and then his brothers and his father came down there because of the, the famine. And so anyway, over time, hundreds of years, that family became a whole country, a whole nation of people, but they were slaves to the Egyptians. So you have this whole population there that, that didn't belong there, but that's down in Egypt that's enslaved by the Egyptians. And they're calling out to God, rescue us, save us, rescue us. And, and so God sends them uh, a leader, Moses, who was actually grew up in the house of Pharaoh and was educated by the Egyptians. And so he, uh, he, he knew their culture, but, but he was an Israelite. So anyway, he becomes their leader and he leads them out of Egypt and they cross the Red Sea and all the, those stories that hopefully we've probably heard. Then Moses gives them the law. And the law is, you know, the guidelines. They, they didn't have a system of government. So it, it's guidelines for, for government, but it's also spiritual law. And, and, and a, a big part of the law is you have this pile of blessings over here and a pile of curses over here. Uh, Moses even tells them, when you go into the promised land, read all the blessings on this mountain and read all the curses on this mountain. You know, kind of so you, you always see those two mountains. Okay, I have those two choices. And if you do, if you, if you, if you do what I'm 
telling you to do, you'll be blessed. If you don't, you'll be cursed. And, and what did the guys, what did the people choose? Of course, they chose to rebel again and again and again. And they kept going, going into idolatry, and God would send them prophets and warn them, and, 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 and over and over that the cycle continues until finally, uh, God's people are carried off into exile. It's called the Babylonian Empire conquered them and took them away to Egypt. Can you throw the next slide up there? This is a, a map that shows you where this is. If you can see on, you can, you can see Jerusalem on the left side there of the, of the little pink, the, the little pink band shows you the route that they took from Jerusalem to Babylon. And if you can see the uh, scale, 200 miles, you can see it's quite a ways to go on foot from Jerusalem all the way to Babylon. And this is where they're carried off, and they're there for 70 years. So a couple scriptures here to, to give you some background so you kind of know. This was part of God's plan for them to, to be disciplined in this way. In uh, Isaiah 45 and, uh, 44 and 45, we don't have time to look at it, but um, uh, you can read this on your own. It's pretty amazing. Isaiah 45 and for, 44 and 45, those chapters... God gives a prophecy that one day a, a leader named Cyrus would send his people back to Jerusalem. And God would use this. I mean, he even gives the name. And this was 200 plus years before it happened. This would be like uh, someone at the time of, you know, George Washington predicting that there would be a leader of, of, of America named Barack Obama or something. I mean, it's, it's a, it even gives the name. Cyrus, and he would set the captives free. It's amazing. Shows, shows you the, the, the power of, of prophecy. But it was in God's mind hundreds of years ago, hundreds of years before, that God's people would come back from captivity. Are, are you with me? And Jeremiah 29 um, is a scripture we're probably all familiar with. Uh, we, we read it a lot, talking about God's plans. It says in verse 10, This is what the Lord says, When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. It's a powerful verse. We use this a lot to talk about us and our individual lives. And I think that's good and right because this is, does show you God's heart for his people. But we can't forget, what was the original context? This is God talking to his people as they're about to go into exile. As the Babylonians are about to conquer them, God is saying, after 70 years, I'll bring you back. So my intention for you is good. I want to give you hope. I want to give you a future. But this is how it's got to be. So sometimes God will allow us to go through things that are hard or difficult. He wants to prosper us, yes. But short term, sometimes that means discipline. Just like our kids. We want what's best for our kids. Dads, don't you want what's good for your kids? But sometimes that means you've got to let them suffer a little bit. You gotta let them pay the consequences for what they did. If you tried to shield them from anything that ever hurt, you would not be loving your kids. And so God will sometimes even allow us to go through difficult things. This is on, on their way into exile, but His heart is, I'm gonna bring you back. Then, uh, the next slide, uh, in Daniel, around, after this time, some time goes by now, Daniel is one of the guys, as a young kid, he was carried off to Babylon. So he grows up there in Babylon, and, and he watches as a whole empire takes over another empire. The Babylonian Empire was conquered by the Medo-Persian Empire, and Daniel's just kind of behind the scenes. He was high up in the Babylonians, but somehow he stays high up. Now he's high up in the 
Medes and Persians. We've all heard the story of Daniel in the lion's den, right? That happened when he was old, and that was with the new, the new regime, the Medo-Persian Empire. Um, but anyway, there's this cool verse in Daniel 9. It says, In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian king, kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting, in sackcloth, sackcloth and ashes. This whole passage is really awesome. I encourage you to read it on your own. Especially if you're working on your prayer life. Because you see, Daniel's prayer here is so amazing. In, in chapter 9, just his heart. He takes responsibility for his people. And, and, and the thing that amazes me about uh, Daniel's perspective is he's just, he's looking at God and God's big picture perspective. And he's reading the scriptures and he, it, it says he realized that there was this prophecy that it would be 70 years that they would be in captivity and then God would call them back. And so Daniel, is, is he's, he's looking at the timeline that's gone on and he realizes it's been about 70 years. And so th- this could be happening soon. I mean, you've got to realize in, in Daniel's immediate, there, there's no way, I mean, this is, would be crazy for, for any ruler to say, hey, I, I want to go ahead and have you, all these people, thousands of people go back to where you came from that we took you away from 70 years ago and go back and, and, and go back to your own land and, and, and build your own thing over there. I mean, wouldn't that be illogical? And if that's what God said would happen. And so Daniel, I love that he's reading his scriptures and suddenly it dawns on him. And so what is his response? He goes and he prays to God and, 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 he, and he, he calls on God, God. And if you read the scriptures, he, he talks about how awesome God is and all that God has done, all that God's doing, all that God's about to do. And he calls on him to God to fulfill his promise and let the captives come home. And that is, in fact, what happens. Uh, the, the Cyrus, the leader of the Medo-Persian Empire, says, all the Israelites can go back. And not only can they go back, but I'm going to pay for them to, to build, to rebuild uh, their, their, their land. And, and this was part of the, the Medo-Persians' style of doing things. They started to realize that things worked out better if local people could have their own local customs and kind of continue to do things their own way. And so, uh, you know, this has been historically documented and everything, and the exile and the return has been documented. And the, the, the estimates are that 50,000 people went back from Babylon to Jerusalem. 50,000 people. Can you imagine that? That, many, that mass migration across that map that we looked at? So I, I, I go through all that and read all that to say that's the context that this psalmist is talking about in Psalm 126. He says, when the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dream. He's remembering that maybe he was one of those captives. It seems like it because he says, we were like men who dream. Or maybe it was his parents or grandparents and he's just, you know, he heard the stories. And, but he's reflecting back on the big picture of what God has done. Are you with me? And, and we've got to do the same thing. We've got to understand we're a part of a big picture. We're a part of a, of a narrative. We're a part of God's story of restoring Christianity in our time. It, you know, our church, we came from somewhere. And, and, and I'd love for, for us even to learn more about our history. We, we are part of something called the Restoration Movement. That's a couple hundred years old. Of We're trying to, you know, you had these great religious institutions and all kinds of tradition and all kinds of, uh, uh, you know, rites and rituals. And we're a part of a tradition that says, no, no, we don't, let's just bag all that. Let's just go back to just the scriptures. 
That was revolutionary at the time, you know, a couple hundred years ago. Let's just go back to the Scriptures. Let's go by only the Bible. Let's simplify. Let's restore. What does New Testament Christianity look, look like? And you and I are a part of that. We're a part of a big picture of God restoring people to Him. Are you with me? I think it's important to look at what God has done. And, and I think it's important to look at what God has done for you personally. I mean, you can look back at your life and go, when the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. You, you all have something like that, where you saw God move in a way that only God could have done it. Only God could have made this happen. And, and, and I think what real evangelism is, is telling people about that. That's the gospel, telling people, here's what God did for me. You know, it says in the next verse, it'll be said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. How do the nations know? They're watching what God is doing. And that's who we've got to be, telling the world, look what God has done in our lives. I remember uh, myself being um, trapped in sin, religious but not a disciple of Jesus, not, not, not fully committed, and just being unhappy spiritually and, and recognizing my own lostness. And I remember getting together with some guys and talking about my spiritual condition and getting the Bible open and having a frank conversation about where I stood, and they really challenged me on, on my, my sin. My, my biggest sin, I would say, was ingratitude. I was ungrateful for God. I was ungrateful for my family. I was prideful. I was arrogant. It, you know, I, I, I was selfish. And I remember seeing my sin just right in my face, just seeing my sin and who I was without God. And I, I remember going out to the woods. It was a Friday afternoon. I remember going out and praying to God and, and calling on Him and asking for His forgiveness and saying, God, I, I don't want to be this way anymore. I want to live for You. And, and I fasted the next day on Saturday. I got together with the guys again on Sunday. And, and we talked about it. We counted the cost. There had been a total transformation of my heart. And I got baptized that Sunday night. It was 23 years ago, a couple, a couple weeks ago. May 29th, 1988. And, uh, you know, I remember that moment. I remember God brought back the captives from Zion for me. And I, I tell you that story just because I know you have your stories. You have your moments where you saw God move and you remember back. I, I'll never forget that night going to bed after I got baptized and I just felt so clean. And I, my bed was under this big window, and, and you know, the, 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 it was a bright moon that night, and I'm just sitting there under the stars and the moon, just praying to God, going, Ah, my soul is right with you, God. I remember the next morning uh, praying on my parents' uh, deck out, outside. Uh, it was, uh, I, for some reason, we had that Monday off of school. It must have been a holiday or something. And I just remember sitting there uh, in a chair and, and basking in the sun and closing my eyes, just feeling the sun beating on me and going, Ah, I'm forgiven. I feel so great. And that's what the psalmist is doing. He's remembering. He says, our, our tongues were filled with laughter. We, we had songs of joy. We were so fired up. And I hope you can remember back to a time like that. We need to reclaim those. You know what I mean? We need to remember those things. Because that will take us on track of where we're going. Open your eyes to God's plan. How has He moved? What is His big picture in your life? Second point, personal restoration. Verse 3, Psalm 126, verse 3, it says, The Lord has done great things for us, and we, were, are, we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. You know, the psalmist remembers back, and then he makes it personal, like, God, I need you now. 
You know, restore our fortunes now. Be with, just like you were with us back then, for me, just like you were with me, God, in 1988 when I got baptized, I need you right now to help me overcome this, to help me overcome that, to help me through this trial, to help me with what I'm facing right now. You know, to, to call on God and say, God, I am desperate for you now. What is the streams in the Negev thing? The Negev is an area uh, that, the, the surrounding Jerusalem that is a, it's a dry, it's the dry southern section of the land, this desert area. I'll show a photo of it. You can see it just, it's just dry. I mean, that looks kind of like Palm Springs, doesn't it? It's just dry desert. So the idea of streams in the Negev is this thing of, it, it, it's not natural. It doesn't, it, it, it doesn't happen all the time. It's not the natural state of things. If you're, if you're in the, if you were in Palm Springs and suddenly you came and you saw this huge river in a lagoon, you'd be like, what? Right? And that's, that's what streams the Negev are like. And so the psalmist is saying, God, do something in my life that's amazing, like streams in the Negev. Something that only you could do. Something that seems so unrealistic. But, but, but you want, don't you want to see God move in your life like that? I think that's what God does. That's who God is. He, he takes a situation that looks totally hopeless, that looks totally impossible, and He restores. He restores it. He fixes it. That's what He does. He's a God who rescues. He's a God who reinvents. He's a God who renews. He's a God who rebuilds. He's a God who restores. That's the God that we worship. I want to show you a video um, that I saw on the news two days ago. Uh, and... and uh, how it, how it, how it uh, relates to this is um, it's a guy that was in Vietnam and he's being restored to a relationship with a guy who was on the opposite side. And if you can imagine being in Vietnam, th- this guy was a colonel and he was injured. He got the Medal of Honor. Uh, he, he, he lost many soldiers. He rescued some. He, he, he had so many, he's had surgeries for 40 years straight. He just had his last surgery. And, and it was him, you know, in this uh, certain spot of Vietnam, you know, the certain field or whatever. He went back there and he met the commander of the Viet Cong, the opposing battle that was fighting against him 40 years ago. And, and they met each other. And, you know, if you can imagine being in that uh, fight, he would have no inkling of, of, of what could happen 40 years later. But I, I want to show this because I, I think emotionally it, it kind of ties into to what we're talking about. So go ahead and roll that. Isn't that cool? I, I wanted to show that because I feel like that kind of captures this idea of streams in the Negev. You know, that, that these are men who were trying to kill each other. This other guy gave the order to attack, you know, this colonel's battalion and, and half of them lost their lives. And yet they're totally, res- I mean, I, I love these old guys holding hands and walking around, you know, and hugging each other. And so cool. I think that, that's what God does if we let him in our lives. He, he takes things that you think could never be healed and he heals them. He takes relationships you think could never be made right and he makes them right. I mean, there are so many stories in our fellowship People who, you know, you, you hear the story and you're like, wow. They're, they're united, they're best friends, they're, they're close relationships. You know, I love the story of Susan Johnson and, and Rachel Johnson, you know, and, and I don't have, we can't tell the whole story, but, and Jay Johnson, and you know, their whole, they're, we're gonna have to have them all up here sometime and just tell the whole story. But it's just amazing, that streams in the Negev. 
you know, how Rachel became a Christian and, 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 and how God's using them and their family and, and, and all, all the whole Johnsons. I mean, even the Calvin and Elaine Johnsons. You know, the, all the Johnsons. <laughs> it's such an amazing story. That streams and then again. That's what God does. That's who God is. And, and I think how this relates to us and our personal restoration is you've got to go to that source every day. You've got to have personal restoration on a daily basis. I think that's why the Lord's Prayer says, Give us this day our daily bread. Because we need God every day. You look at Jesus in his prayer life. He's constantly praying. He's constantly going to get away with God. He, he spends all day healing people and teaching. And it's late in the afternoon. He says, I've got to go be with God. So he dismisses the crowd. He sends the guys off. And he goes to be with God on the mountain. Because he's been waiting all day to get that time of restoration. If he, the Son of God, needed it, don't we need that? Don't we need that walk with God? Don't we need that personal restoration? I know for me, you know, we're talking about elevate and higher ground. And the, the, my favorite place to pray, and I talk about it a lot, but it's this mountain right by my house. And you can look out over uh, all of South Bay. And, and, and because I go there and that's my place with God, sometimes I just get out of my car and I just start to walk into that spot and I already feel totally better. I mean, not all the time, but a lot of times I'm, I'm feeling just... I'm feeling tied up, I'm feeling struggling, I'm stressed, I'm, you know, and, and, and it's a battle sometimes because I'm like, I've got so much to do, I can't go do that. I've got so much to do, i gotta, I got to, but, but there's something in my soul that says, I've got to go to God. And, and so many times I just get out of my car and I start to walk to that spot and I already feel better. Just walking up on the mountain, it's like, ah, a breath of fresh air because I just feel that connection to God. I feel that restoration. I feel those streams in the Negev. Next slide. There's a psalm that, Psalm 1, Psalm 23, 3, a lot of us know it. It says, He restores my soul. And that's a picture right there of streams in the Negev. You know, occasionally there's, this place only gets three or four inches of rain a year, but occasionally there's a, a flood and you have streams like that. That should be us and our walk with God every day. You know, can you say this? He restores my soul. Is that the kind of walk with God that you have? He wants to restore marriages. He wants to restore relationships. He wants to heal grieving. He wants to see addictions overcome. He wants to turn sadness into joy. That's who God is. What area of your life needs restoration right now? I mean, think about that. What is the area where you go, wow, I need, I need to be restored in this area? And, and I encourage you and I, I challenge you to take that to God this week. And I'm going to give you kind of a, a, fu- a funny assignment, or you might think it's funny for you, but I want you to write a psalm this week. Write a psalm this week. Write that down in your notes if you're taking notes. Write a psalm, assignment from Brian. Write a psalm. Now, it doesn't have to be anything you share with anyone else except God. You can if you want. It, do- it doesn't have to be to music. You can. You can pick your favorite song and, and write new lyrics to it, you know. But a psalm, it just, you, 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 you putting a poem or something, putting something into words. All you have to do is write something to God this week. But make it a psalm, make it cool. You know, use some metaphors. There's a lot of metaphors in psalms, you know. Use some cool metaphors. But, but write a psalm this week. Cause, cause he wants that affection from you. Last point, uh, number three, future restoration. Let's look at verse five. It says, those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. You know, there's this, this, this metaphorical image of, of a guy who's going out to sow seed and he's weeping. 
I don't know exactly why he's weeping, but it's, it's again, it's the streams of the Negev kind of idea of, of everything looks so bleak, it looks so bad, it looks so impossible, it looks so hopeless, and, and you're just, I'm just going to try to sow the seed, and I'm just crying because I'm so devastated. But it says, you'll return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. What that means is, you sowed the seed, God did all the work and turned it into wheat, and now you're harvesting the wheat. You're bringing in a great, bountiful, fruitful harvest. That's who God is. He wants to make you fruitful. Jesus says, all you got to do is remain in me and you will bear much fruit. God's the one that produces the fruit. We've just got to stay connected. But I think what Satan tries to do is get us just to unconnect, to unplug, to rely on ourselves, to not go to God, to, to just go through the motions, to just kind of play Christian, but not be connected to the energy source. Not daily walking with God. God. He tries to do that with me, and I've been doing this a long time. And I still, every day, I've got to, okay, I've got to read my Bible. I've got to pray. I've got to have that daily routine. I've got to have that daily time with God. I've got to stay plugged in to the vine. Like this idea of going out weeping. To me, it's, a, it's an investment. It's emotionally investing. You're, you're putting out your, your, your heart Sowing seeds, you're, you're investing something. There's a scripture in Galatians where, where Paul writes, you reap what you sow. If you sow to please your sinful nature, you're going to, please your sinful, you're going to have problems. If you sow to please the Spirit, you're going to be spiritual. You know, a lot of times we want the return, we want the fruit, but we don't want to sow the seed. And I'm that way, you know, I, I want everything to go great in my life. I want to just be spiritual without having to work at it. You know, I, I don't want to have to have prayer times and quiet times. Every day. I just want to naturally be righteous. I want to just have lots of people become Christians and I don't really have to do much. You know, is that just me? I just want lots of people to come to church with me. I don't even have to invite them. I just kind of live my life and they just come. People just want to get baptized. I don't even study with them. I mean, I just kind of, you know what I mean? We want that. We want results with no investment. But we gotta reap. We, I mean, we got, if we're gonna reap, we gotta sow. We gotta do the hard work. We gotta uh, daily sow seeds. There's a lot that needs to be done in our church. There are a lot of needs here. There's a lot of areas where we need to sow seeds. You know, there, there, there's a, a whole another generation that we gotta get the truth to. I appreciate so many of you guys who serve in Kids Kingdom, and really appreciate Darren and Karen and their uh, their leadership and their volunteer investment, many many hours a week for our kids. Amen. Appreciate all of you who teach. That is sowing seeds. We might not see the fruit like right away, but I remember being taught in Kids Kingdom. You know, I remember my preteen leaders. You know, this, I, I, I met this guy at, at, at this ILC conference last year in, in Florida who had been a preteen leader for me. And I hadn't seen him in, in that long, I mean, since like I was in high school. And I just started weeping, you know, because I was just so grateful for him. And, and God had really blessed his life. And it was, it was just so cool. But I remember that. And that, that was a fruit produced much, much later. But that's sowing seed. Uh, we've got to sow seeds in, into our teen ministry. You know, the, the teens, guys, this is a critical age. And, and there's so many, not only of our teens here in the church, but a lost world of teens out there. You know, we were talking about this this about this this week, I think all of us need to be serving the teen ministry in terms of let's we all know teens, we all see teens. We, let's let's all of us pitch in and get teens out to our services. Are you with me? 
Our, our, our singles ministry, our, our family ministry, we, I don't have time to talk about it all, but we, we've got a lot to be done. And we've got to all sow seeds and invest. Only God truly restores. He is the solution that the world is looking for. And uh, where are you with this? I mean, maybe you have never really felt this connection to God. Maybe you have never really had a right relationship with God. You know, today is the time to, to make a decision to, to get to know God. We want to help you get to know God. We will show you the scriptures. We will show you how to pray. We'll take you to pray with us. But that is what you're looking for. Only He can restore your soul. Only He can fill you up. There's nothing else in this life that will fill you up. And He's inviting you to be restored. You know, you're over in Babylon right now and He wants to bring you back to the promised land. You know, maybe you are doing great with God right now. Maybe you feel, I'm so fired up by my relationship with God. I'm doing great spiritually. Amen. So help others around you. To be restored to God. He wants to use you. Maybe it's been a while since you had that mountaintop experience with God. Maybe you're not feeling connected to Him. Take some radical steps today to, to, to have that connection with God. I'm going to share uh, in closing a, a song with you guys that I wrote uh, called Higher Ground. And it's a prayer to God and it's, it's kind of about this idea of, of streams in the Negev. It's, it's being stuck. It's being frustrated. It's being uh, in a situation where you, you just can't see a way out, and then you go to God and you, and you ask Him to lift you up and He rescues you and He helps you and He uh, inspires you. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sing it. I'd like you guys to sing on the chorus. You'll catch on right away. And, uh, and that'll wrap up our, our time here in Psalm 126. Amen? Let me hop up here.